All right. Uh, as far as I was talking about the uh, uh, Day of Discipleship Conference, we will have a sign-up in the back afterwards. So go ahead and get signed up uh, soon. And that, that way the planning can be, uh, be put in place a little more easily, too. All right. Well, turn in your Bibles with me now, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5 again. And uh, as we've been working our way through Galatians, we've had these four and a half chapters where Paul has just hit again and again and again and again that we are saved, we are made righteous, not by good works that we do under the law, but it is only by faith, by entrusting ourselves to Christ that we are saved. That, that's the only way it happens. And he's gone at it from personal uh, anecdotes and stories. He has talked about it from Old Testament scriptures. He has taken logic and laid out for us again and again and again that you are saved only by putting your trust and faith in Jesus and what it was he did on the cross. We are, and we are not under the law as Christians, whether Jew or Gentile. We are no, not under the law, but we, are, we stand in grace. And we are free. In fact, chapter 5, verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not sub be subject, subject again to a yoke of slavery. And so, this is so critical because of the people who are coming in after Paul and teaching. Well, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but first you have to be circumcised if you're a man. Or first, you have to keep these parts of the law. Then you can have entrance into faith and grace and, and being saved. And Paul makes it very clear that salvation is through grace alone, or by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he's hit that again and again and again. And now he's going to turn to the other side. Maybe you've been waiting for, well, then how are we to live if we're not to live under the law? If we're not to have the, the things all detailed out for us, like the Mosaic Law did about how you're to live and all these details, what things you're supposed to eat, what things aren't you supposed to eat, what things are you supposed to do, what things aren't you supposed to do, how do we live? I guess we can just do whatever we want. Well, Paul's going to now turn to that and show us actually what is this better way of living that God has in mind for us when we come. Christ. So follow along with me, if you would, as I read verses 13 through 18 of, of Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not 
under the law. And so he's coming back around now in verse 13 to where he started the chapter about freedom. Again, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. He freed you from your sin. He freed you from its power. He freed you from its penalty. And so now he says he wants you to walk in that freedom. He wants you to live in freedom. And, and they started out in, in the beginning of the chapter with that. Now he's coming back around after having dealt with the false teachers and the things that they were doing. And he says again, you were called to freedom. Freedom. What's freedom? That's a word that gets a lot of use these days. A lot, probably more abuse than use, I would say. Because a lot of times people say freedom. Oh, freedom means that I can do whatever I want. Frankly, that's not freedom. That's license. And that's a big, it's a very different thing. A license is more like being a little kid. And you watch your parents. Maybe you watch, you know, other adults. And it's like, well, all the adults get to do whatever they want. They can spend their money on whatever they want, and they can go wherever they want, and they can drive, and they, and they just get to do whatever they like to do. And if you've come to the point of getting out of childhood, you realize that all of a sudden, all of that freedom comes with direction, right? Comes with responsibility. Comes with reasons why you do what you do, and those who don't mature in those attitudes end up badly battered and bruised because they launch into adulthood, I can just do what pleases me. And whatever it feels good, I can do. And that takes a toll on a person that is, is could be worse, is really the, one of the worst things you can do is just, I'm going to just do whatever feels good to me. That's not freedom. That's destruction. And so Paul warns the Galatian believers. It's like, because we have freedom doesn't mean you just go out and do whatever. Don't turn it into an opportunity for the flesh, he says. That's kind of an interesting word, uh, the flesh. Um, the way Paul uses this, uh, this term, it's not... You know, flesh, of course, we're flesh and blood, right? We're made out of a body, a material body, right? We have that part of us. That's not really the idea here. The, the flesh is a concept that Paul uses quite a bit in his letters. And the idea behind it is that we have patterns of sin in our lives that developed from the time we were born. Because we were born as sinners, we started sinning early. We started to, to do it habitually. We started to do, have patterns of sin, right? And then the patterns of sin are like ruts or grooves in our lives. Those, those grooves run through our life, and, and they're based really on our own particular desires, the things that we want. So they're different for each person. Your flesh doesn't cry out to you in the same way that mine does. But we've spent our whole lives developing strategies to get what we want and to avoid what we don't want or what we fear. And so that's really the, the idea, what Paul means, is, is within you, in a sense within your body, because that's where so many of our desires lie, right? 
We want to satisfy our lusts and our hunger and, and, and all those different things. But then there's, there's just those, those ideas of, of power and pleasure and other things. But, but we've gotten in, in a certain way that we get those things that we want. Sometimes we're manipulative. Sometimes we do it, you know, through force. Other times we do it by being just plain sneaky. Right? We've all got different strategies, and that, those are our go-tos in order to get what we want. We have our strategies to avoid the things we don't want, right? You know how to get out of the things that don't make you feel pleasurable or things that you're afraid of. You've got a go-to strategy to avoid the things you're afraid of. And those have sin embedded in them. That's the flesh. And it calls out to you to go back to the same way again. Go back and keep on doing this sinful pattern because it gets you what you want or it keeps you from getting what, what you don't want. And you think, well, that's, that's, just how, that's just how life is. That's how I do it. Problem is, as we find out as life goes by, that it's really not working as well as we thought. Most of the time we think, I wish there was a better way, but this is what I know, so that's what I'm going to do. And it pulls us back into the rut. It pulls us back into sinful patterns. It pulls us back into doing the same thing again and again, even though we feel the guilt and we feel the shame and we sigh and say, isn't there something more? Isn't there something better? And so Paul warns the believers, just because you don't have a law saying, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It doesn't mean that you just do what your flesh, your patterns of sin tell you to do. That would be giving an opportunity for the flesh. Uh, interestingly, the, the word opportunity actually means a, 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 a base of operations. You give those patterns in your life that are left in you a base of, of operations to work from. See, the problem is that, that when we entrusted ourselves to Christ, there was a transformation that took place in us. We became new people spiritually. And we have a whole new life. The problem is we still live in these same old bodies, right? We still have the same history. We still have the same brain that is grooved in doing things the same way. Well, when Christ comes and starts to clean all that out, Right? The law was there to kind of keep us under control, to keep us from going too far. Whether it was the law of Moses or whatever law we had imposed on ourselves so we didn't destroy ourselves. Or someone else imposed on us so we didn't hurt others. But Jesus transforms us. Change starts to happen. But what do we do if there's no law? If you're free from the law, oh, our flesh jumps in immediately, says, okay, no law? I can, do, I can work with this. I can work myself back into the same comfortable grooves and doing things the way I've always done them. It grabs a hold of the lack of law as, as ground that it can hold on to. And it says to us, 
There's no law against that for you anymore. That thing you want to do, you're not under the law. So go ahead. Do it. Indulge yourself. Just this once. There's not a law. And to make that suggestion, on the other hand, goes against everything we have become in Christ. A new motivation is entered in, an inward one, not an external force like the law. The new self we become, motivated by the love of Christ, looks instead for something good for others. We now, we now operate with a new master. The things we wanted used to enslave us. Well, hopefully, it's a used to. He's saying there's a possibility for the flesh to get in there and try to take control if you give it that opportunity. So by saying, oh, well, there's no law, just, well, just do what you want. It's like, no, no, you've got to rethink your whole scheme of how to do things. And so he says in verse 13, you are called to freedom, brethren. Well, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He says, you have to turn your entire focus. Your life is now not about keeping a list of rules. Your life is not about indulging your pleasures and your strong desires. He says, you now have freedom to serve others. It's interesting in, in verse 13 that he says, through freedom, serve one another. The word serve is really a word that, that has to do with acting as a slave. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? You have been called to freedom. So act like a slave for others through love. And that makes no sense to the mind that's driven by who we used to be without Christ, the old man. But when it's applied to the life in the, in the church, what, what, what it creates in the church if we, if we do this instead of living under the law, instead of indulging our flesh, as a group of people who are joy, joyfully finding ways to be a servant, should I, can I even say to be a slave to the other people who are in that body with them? Now understand, we're all servants or slaves. So we're not trying to become the master of the other people who are being servants. They already have a master. And that master says, rather than indulging yourself because you're not under the law, your drive should be, how can I be the slave of other people, other believers? And then turn it outward, right? There are people out there dying because they don't know the Savior. There are people out there being beaten up because of their sin and the sins of others. How do I make myself, under my master Jesus, a slave for them and for their good? Because it's, it's love is the means of doing that, right? So it's not in order to make money. It's not because there's a threat over my head if I don't do it. But love is the means. So love is, is what? Because I like the way I feel when I'm around them? That's one way we define love. It's not, not what Paul's talking about here. When he talks about agape love, you may be familiar with the term, but, but it means by seeking what is ultimately best 
for another person. So not acting based on feelings or fondness or even desire. See, Jesus loved us so much he went to the cross. Do you think he did that because we were so wonderful? Do you think he did that because of a fondness? Because, it, because he had a desire to be on the cross? No, he endured the cross despising the shame for the joy set before him that involved us. See, love is what's got to drive that being a slave for others. Otherwise, it turns into something that doesn't match up what the life God has for us. So don't let your lusts and desires, the things that are inside you, take advantage of the fact that you're not under the law, but in fact be driven by the love of Christ to do what is ultimately best for the others in your life. And then he summarizes it just like Jesus did, verse 14, where he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself. One overriding principle. If you're used to going back to the law and saying, oh, well, what does the Bible say in the Old Testament law? Can I do this? Can I not do that? Can I do this? Can I? Well, just sum it up. Is doing this loving your neighbor as yourself? That was the purpose of all those outwardly directed laws. We know Jesus said the great commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, that came first. But then love your neighbor as yourself was, was the purpose of all those other people-directed laws. So you can ask yourself, am I seeking what is ultimately best for others? Am I doing to them as I would have others do for me? Am I loving them the way I would like to be loved? Now understanding that we all have different ways we like to be loved, so it's getting down underneath the purpose, right? Getting down to what is really good for that person. What would really build them up and change them and give them what they really need. Is it about me or is it about God loving them through me and changing them and being willing to use me to do that? And when this core principle is kept in mind, the nitpicky law-keeping can fade away. And that's one of the terrible things about living under law. Because you're forever saying, oh, well, this, this, is, this is what, what you should, can do, but you can't do that. And, and it's kind of splitting hairs, and it's picking at people because, oh, look, at, oh, you did that, and it's wrong. You know what that does? It destroys relationships. But he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Because love for self is always present. I know the world lies to us and tells us, oh, you need to learn to love yourself. No. No, you love yourself quite well. You do it in some weird ways. But you really are always trying to do what, what makes you think is better for you. Do the same for others. Love them as you love yourself. Turn it around and share as you would like to receive. Because there's a big battle going on in this process. Verse 15, the battle can happen in our midst. 
He says, verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And all of these terms he uses here, biting and devouring and consuming, are all words that are, are used of animals, the way animals act toward one another. And notice, he's now, he is turning it towards us as, as, as believers together in the church. You're doing this to each other. So, so this is not just an individual thing he's talking about. But he says when you come together, when you interact, when you live life together, just because there's no law doesn't mean you just go after what you want. But also, if you're going to live under the law, you spend all your time nitpicking at each other about legal issues and what's allowed and what's not allowed rather than what's ultimately best for my brother, what's ultimately best for my sister. So Paul's words are those used about animals, and how, that's how we act when we're driven by the desires of the flesh. We start to act like beasts rather than thinking and reasoning people made in the image of God. Animals are, are, are driven just by their basic needs, their responses to stimuli. God has made us to live in a way that is in sync with him. Law, law-based fights tear people apart. In fact, if you jump down to verse 20 where it's talking about some of the deeds of the flesh, you get down toward, into that, that verse a little bit, you get to enmities, the third one, strife, the fourth one, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. It says that's what's produced by your flesh. That's that biting and devouring and consuming each other. Don't live like animals, he says. Well, then how do we live? How do we live if it's not the law? How do we live if it's not by what we feel, by what we want, by our old patterns of life? How do, how do we walk in this life with Christ? In verse 16, Paul proposes an alternative. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk. That's a word used in Scripture quite a bit. We came across it in uh, the kids' Sunday school class this morning. Uh, we learned about Enoch and Noah, and they walked with God. And I don't think that means God came in human form and, and walked alongside them. But they ordered their lives along with God. That's the idea of the idea of, of walk. And here it's a present tense verb. So that helps us get the idea a little bit more because a present tense verb in the Greek means an ongoing action. So keep on walking by the Spirit. And so walking is a way of doing life. Paul's talking about a lifestyle, patterns of doing things, habits, disciplines of life. Is that a dirty word? Disciplines of life? In other words, we do things we don't necessarily like to do for the good that's going to be part of the bigger picture, right? But given the context and that Paul here uses plural pronouns, when he says you, he's saying y'all, he isn't just talking to individuals, but also wants the church body 
to be walking by the Spirit as a way of life. So what's your pattern of life? What's your way of doing things? He said it should be by the Spirit. Spirit walking with the Holy Spirit. Spirit directed, Spirit influenced. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. If it's true that walking with wise men, living your life with people who are wise, how much more will it be true if you're walking by and with the Holy Spirit of God? If your life is in constant connection with Him, if you are interacting with Him, if you are watching what He is doing in your life, if we submit our thoughts and actions to Him, won't it become ridiculous to follow our sinful desires? If our closest and most frequent engage, frequently engaged relationship is with God, God the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, will there be much room or influence for, for wanting things that are against Him? I mean, I think about it, if I spend a lot of time with my wife, and I'm walking, I'm, I'm going with her, and suddenly there's, a, there's some sort of a, a, a sexual temptation pops up. And I've been spending time enjoying her and being with her. How likely am I to go after that sexual temptation while she's standing there with me? Not very good. Not very much of a chance, is there? Same thing with the Holy Spirit. If we're spending time interacting with Him, recognizing that he's a part of our, our very breath. Every waking thought, everything that happens in our lives. When the temptations to sin come up and we're aware of him there and he is influencing us and our minds, are we more likely or less likely to go with the temptation? I think it's going to be a lot less, right? Because it's about relationship. And so if we are, as a church body, doing that together, walking by the Spirit, the biting and devouring is going to stop, isn't it? If we're truly walking by the Spirit. And if it starts up again, the biting and devouring pops up, or it's going to be a red flag. It's like, oh, there's something wrong. We need to, you know, we need to pay attention to this, either personally or we need to come around where the, the biting and devouring is happening and saying, hold on. The Spirit's here. Are we paying attention to Him? Are we listening to Him? Are we walking according to what it is He has for us in life? Because, you know, we should be walking a life that's not dominated by those same old patterns if we have come to know Christ as our Savior. And it's, and it's an overtime kind of thing, this walking. It's not just today. Uh, patterns of life are, are directed by overriding ideas like love your neighbor as yourself aren't about just a point in time. Uh, Paul uses a present tense verb, so he's saying keep on walking, and this happens when our will is engaged with God's will. Because the, the relationship of, of regular interaction with Him and His Word, that's, that's what our life is about. 
It's like a marriage, but more encompassing and intimate. Catch that? A relationship with the Holy Spirit is more encompassing and more intimate than marriage. It involves even more of the details of our life. It's even closer. He actually dwells within us. And I think the longer you're married, you realize, how do we ever really get to that complete oneness? But God's Spirit isn't just with us all the time, but dwelling in us, directing us, turning our thoughts, helping us to see things more clearly, revealing to us, because He is God, right? Showing us His Word. So the Holy Spirit dwells in you, knows every thought, motive of your heart. But then there's the Word of God, right? Turn to Ephesians 5. And verses 18 through 20. Starts with a warning, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But the positive then is, but be filled with the Spirit. So be filled up to the full. Be overflowing with God's Holy Spirit as far as your interaction with Him. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So Paul gives us that instruction to be filled with the Spirit. It's very similar to walking by the Spirit. Because we walk by the Spirit when we're filled up with Him, right? Ordering our lives along with His desire for us. But what, what does it mean to be filled? Well, Paul wrote another letter, the letter to the Colossians, probably just shortly before or after this, they were, probably, they were sent by the same messenger to the same uh, area. Well, how did he say, tell it to them? Well, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Just a few pages toward the back of your Bible from Ephesians. Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 16. There he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And now it's going to sound familiar again. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, Paul wanted to say basically the same thing to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. To the Ephesians, he said, be filled with the Spirit and then do these things. To the Colossians, he said, let the, the word of Christ richly well within you, and it will bring you to do these things. I would say those parallels tells, tell us that basically being filled with the Spirit, letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you are essentially the same or are so interlinked that you're not going to do one without the other. So if, if the idea of walking by the Spirit sounds just a little too nebulous, well, how about let the word of Christ be richly, and the word dwell means to be at home. Let God's word be thoroughly, completely at home within you. So that means you've got to be reading it, right? You've got to be understanding it, being taught it, meditating on it, thinking about what it then has to do with my life. 
and even asking the Holy Spirit, would you direct my thoughts according to this word that I'm learning and having be a part of me? See, it's all, it all fits together. It's immersed, yes, in his word, but it's all giving his spirit free reign to use it in convicting me of sin, in giving me direction, and helping me out to understand in this situation what is really best for the person that I'm engaged with, I'm interacting with here. How do, how do I serve them like a slave in a way that, that builds them up, makes them stronger, helps them to see you more clearly and more fully? And like I said, it's, it's over time. It happens. The Holy Spirit, we're interacting with him, immersed, soaked in his word. Because the Holy Spirit knows our every thoughts, right? He knows every single thing that we think before we think it. He knows what we're going to do before we do it. But the word of God, we're told in Hebrews 4.12, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, so what a potent combination here. The word of God, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit, soaking into your heart, as you let the Holy Spirit then take those words that he inspired and preserved for us and saying, here, this thought that you had, you wanted something so badly, you were actually willing to go against me to get it. Let me show you a better way. Here, someone in your life that has a need, I can give you all the strength and ability to go and help them Find what they need. The Spirit directing and working in us. That's what Paul says instead of going after the flesh. And the result that he says that will come out of that, if we can get our, get our way back to Galatians 5 again, <clears throat> says in verse 16, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It will cut off those strong, those, the, the end result of those strong desires that come up within us. Because we still have those strong desires in us, don't we? Even for sinful things as believers. The wants of our life from when we were without Christ, they're still there. But when we let the Holy Spirit direct us, develop disciplines in our lives that are directed in his way and understand how God designed everything and what's truly right and good, the, the idea is, is, is the word carry out, you will not carry out or fulfill or gratify, you'll keep them from proceeding forward. So the desires are going to pop up, right? But if we're walking according to the Spirit, that relationship's going to put the damper it's going to put the fire hose on those desires so they don't get to the point of actually being filled up. That's the idea. No, no, you'll stop it down here because the relationship will say, why would you do that when you love your Lord so much? Why would you do that when Jesus died to get rid of that garbage in your life 
and now you are living with him day by day, and that's contrary to him. That keeps that process that used to, as soon as you wanted it, you just went for it. You went to your go-to, you went down in that rut and got you to what you thought you wanted. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you're going to cut that process off before it gets very far at all. And if you don't, and it goes, and it continues, and you sin, there's still forgiveness, right? There's restoration. There's being brought back so that you don't turn that into a pattern that happens over and over and over. And walking by the Spirit, we cut off that, those patterns and even the developing of new patterns based on our lusts and desires. Because we know in our heart, verse 17 is true. The flesh sets its desires against the Spirit. Those things in me. They, they want to go against the things God wants, right? The things the Holy Spirit directs me to do. The things that Jesus loves. And the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So here's what it's like. The flesh, the Spirit, they're going opposite directions against each other. You know what's great? The Spirit is infinitely more power than our, powerful than our flesh. Head-on collision between the Spirit and our flesh? Get on the side of the Spirit. He's going to win. He's going to destroy to destroy those as we engage our will with him. But it's interesting, Paul has to command us to do this. God doesn't violate our will and say, you will walk by the Spirit. But he says, why, why do you want that old life of sin and death and destruction of yourself? Join me. And I'm against, yes, those sinful desires that have been a part of your life. I'm diametrically opposed to them because they kill and destroy you. Come with me. Walk with me. And we'll go head to head with them and come out victorious. They're in opposition to one another. Verse, end of verse 17. So that you may not do the things that you please. That's kind of a difficult phrase to figure out exactly what he means there. But I take it that you know, don't trust your gut. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your appetites. Just because you want it doesn't mean you should go for it. Remember that love is at the heart of the new you. And this is a real love. It's not driven by emotion, although there will be emotion involved, but that's not the driving force. Often, we, we get a desire, right? A, a lust of the flesh pops up and we continue with it because we, seems like we ought to have it because, well, it's my heart. My heart said, my gut said to do it, right? No. no. You need to do it because it fits with who Jesus is and what his word tells you is good and right and true. And oftentimes we grab a hold of those desires and we'll, we'll stick with it and, and we'll keep talking to other people about it. Other Christians, because we want them eventually to give us permission to go ahead and do what we, we want anyway, even though we know it doesn't fit with who Jesus is and who he's made us to be. He says, no, go with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit so that you won't do those things that are rising up and trying to pull you away. 
And then he pulls it all together then in verse 18. But if you are led, oh, there's a different word. You're walking with him, but you're also led by him. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, this is a whole new way of living. The law is for restraining those who don't have this new dynamic relationship with Jesus by the Spirit. A new life of freedom is one that's intertwined with the life of the Spirit and those who belong to Him. Listen to the way that, that Paul told, uh, explained this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Because Timothy was running into people who were teaching the same kind of things as in Galatia, that, that you should be keeping the law. So 1 Timothy 1, verses 5 through 11 says, but the goal of our instruction, in other words, here's what we are about, Timothy. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to, become te or wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact, here this is important, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for, for murderers, for immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is a lie, yeah, it's got a good purpose. It's for people who do not believe. It shows them what sin is. It helps to hold down people who are in rebellion against God. And yet, when you come to know Christ as your Savior, you enter into a whole new life where you walk with Him. And yeah, there, there's some correspondence between the content of the law and now how you live. But you don't live because there's a law over you and you must do it or face the consequences. It's you've entered into a relationship with God in which you walk with Him day by day, loving Him more, knowing Him more, being saturated by His Word more, so that your choices are love flowing out, serving others. That's what the new life is about. That's why you don't need the law, because you're so busy pursuing the heart of God in others that you keep, you're, you're doing what's right. The law doesn't have to come in and say, boom, stop that. See, there's no, it's no simple formula to the kind of life that Paul is describing. It's a relationship, and relationships are complex and sometimes very difficult. Our sin and our limited knowledge can make our relationship with the Holy Spirit messy. That's what we, we contribute to the relationship mostly, is the mess. Don't worry. God knows exactly what's going on, and we can walk with him through all of those struggles, and we can experience the deep joy of the journey, both when the struggle is, 
is hard and difficult, and when, the struggle, when things are, are looking easy and, and wonderful and glorious, he's there with us through all of it. That's what Paul calls us to. That's what God calls us to through Paul. Is that kind of a journey, a walking in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we consider how you've called us to live this life, and as you will in the, in the verses ahead, help us to get into some of those nitty-gritty details of, of a relationship with you, and what it doesn't look like, and what it what kind of character it builds in us, what kind of attitudes it changes us to have. I just pray that you would help us to get it a little more, to put it into practice further in, in our relationship, especially with you as we allow your spirit to, to lead us, to accompany us, to, to permeate our lives along with your word. Help us to to not get distracted. There's so many things to take us away from that, to, to pull us uh, after the things that we, we want or we fear. And Lord, we, we know we need your care and perspective instead. Thank you. We're so thankful that that's exactly what you want to do for us too. And we look forward to how you will accomplish that in our lives day by day. In Jesus' name.